Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Here we are again for another episode of Liberty Sessions. And this week, I'm so pleased to bring to you Amy Swift. Not only is Amy um, a force in the space of female entrepreneurship, but she is what I call one of the OGs. She's been there um, long before this new uh, kind of swell of entrepreneurial trailblazers. Um, she she is one of the original. Uh, and Amy, it's so great to have you. Thanks for making time to be with us. I'd love to hear um, you share with our audience a little bit about your practice and how you've built it to date. Wow. My life story, you mean? Yeah, that. <laughs> Give us that. Well, so today I would call myself a brand strategist and a copywriter. And what that means is I help companies identify and articulate their values through messaging. And that could look like a New York Times ad. That could look like an investor deck. That could look like no words at all, but just an internal compass to what matters to us, who are we serving, why do it at all? What is our mission? What do we all agree on? And why are we here? So sometimes it looks like an outward message, but a lot of times it's really an internal process captured in a document that is really very few words at the end of the day, but takes a ton of thinking and processing to get right. Sure. Sure. I'm imagining you sitting with solopreneurs and larger businesses in a room and trying to figure out how this actually gets done and the questions you're asking to sort of beg the the core, their core values, their their actual offering, yeah. that those things may actually lead to a switch in business model, a, a, an additional revenue stream, like uh, what those things can inform go well beyond um, what someone may hire you for, which is to help curate the messaging. <laughs> it's true. It's a very disruptive process. What it feels like it should do is answer all the questions and tie things in a bow. But what it actually does is unwrap the package, rip open the box, let all the popcorn from the box all over the room, <laughs> and then take the product out, turn on the radio. It's not the song you thought was going to play. Like it's just... It's chaos before it's organized, almost always. Do you and have to sort of explain that to people before they enter the process or do they assume that's going to be the case? Well, in terms of managing expectations, I do like to explain that, but yeah. then I explain it again as the chaos ensues <laughs> because you can see the look on their face like on yeah. the morning of day two and they're like, where are we now? I feel right. more confused than ever. Sure. So, and the, typically the people I work with are startups that are either capitalized. So they have a, a reserve of funds to spend on something like this, 
Uh Or if they're not capitalized, they're a startup that has already made, you know, they're, they're making maybe a few million dollars a year. So they know what they know and they know what they don't know. And then other times it's a company who's hit a slump. So mm-hmm. they've had a really robust business for 10 years, but now Amazon is here. And who are they compared to Amazon when it's way cheaper and more efficient to order your paper lanterns through them or your spiritual psychology books through Amazon? Right. And really forging a new path in terms of connecting with customers, not only through a new revenue stream, but just a more appealing um, a more appealing path. And that definitely could be messaging, but there are so many other things involved with brand strategy. So we touch, I touch all of those, all of those areas. And how do you find, or how do they find you that level of clientele? So somebody who it has, has the the reserves, as you Mm -hmm. said, like what is that process for finding Amy Swift? It's totally word of mouth. Yeah. I live in a village with 5,000 people in Massachusetts, 45 minutes outside of Boston, like nowhere. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the clients I have tell other clients or people follow my blog. Yeah. Um, it's, I just don't, I don't do any traditional networking. I don't, I don't really do any biz dev per se. It's mm-hmm. just, I don't know, I've just landed in this place where I have as much work as I need and I scale up or down compared, I mean, sort of according to what's going on. And um, mostly it's too much. Mostly yeah. I, I just, I don't want to be living in a stress environment where I can't be present to things. And recently I just decided to start saying a hard no on, on new work because I just can't, I can't be there for my life in the way that I need to be. And I've done this before where I'm caught in that spider's web of you pick up one leg and the other five are still stuck. And it's just, uh, it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. And, and one that I think just comes with time. Uh, you've done it before, you know, you know what the result is. I think early on when you first start saying yes to all those clients, you assume it's, it's the best thing for the business. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you, you get, a, a a better view of what that does to your life. You get a better sense of how that impacts things that are more than about the bottom line. You may even get a better sense of how that impacts your other clients because you're not as present as you could be. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And it just takes yeah. time. I think a, a little life, uh, to get to that point where that becomes clear or um, something that is to be avoided. So what's hard about it is what you're doing is creating space for something that you don't have a name or a thing that's going to fill that space, but you want to have the space available for your child to have a terrible day at school and you have now the space to process that for 30 minutes without jumping on a conference call. Or saying, you know what, guys, let's get out the Play-Doh and the whatever and build something and not have to run out because whatever work thing is going on. 
and it's kind of a luxury to say all of this because there was a time in my life where I had to say yes and my husband's business was really new <clears throat> and I I couldn't I I couldn't be in that position mm-hmm. but yeah age time a good reputation I I'm glad you said a good reputation because I almost said when you were talking about where you lived and the 5,000 people around you, that prior to that, you had lived in both New York and Los Angeles and had developed a great reputation and uh, moved in circles with people who were building things and who were connected to other people who were building things. So there was a season of your life um, where you were doing consciously or unconsciously that biz dev work. Yes. So I don't want our listeners to hear this and say, well, how did she get in her little village in Massachusetts and have more work than she uh, yep. wants to? You're totally right. And it would be uh, it would be an oversight to say that the garden wasn't planted and kind of toiled early on. My, yeah. my New York days and my LA days were full of incredible connections. Um, in LA with the way that you and I met was when I started Smarty, which was a women's entrepreneurial network. Um, I mean, starting a women's network or a women's anything is basically (laughs) the, the ideal platform to meet the most incredible, ambitious, visionary, articulate, amazing women. And that's what I had. And that's what you have. And it's the best excuse ever to reach out to people who you admire and say, hey, I've got 300 people who are going to show up in this room in a month. Do you want to be on a panel? Do you want to be part of an interview? Can I blog about you? Can we do a Q&A? And, you know, it takes more than just asking and them saying yes. It's then forming a relationship that matters to both of you. And Absolutely. That's... And this this is a this relationship is a testament to that, and so many other relationships that you and I have that yeah. were born of Smarty, or were born of those um, early opportunities to engage with one another, and now to stay in contact long after. And yeah. so let's talk about long after. You had this what I would say robust program. You I thought were one of the few people that. So let me just back up really quickly just to paint a picture for our listeners. So now we have so many entrepreneurial platforms for females. It's, it, it, everything is, and I I mean this with all due respect, but somewhat pinkwashed. It's just kind of everywhere. And I think what happened, gosh, Amy, are we talking like 15 years ago? Maybe there was the beginning of, there was this resurgence of, oh, what would it look like? If entrepreneurial women came together to support one another, what would it look like if we even gave a name and a space for those who weren't, you know, knitting caps on the side as a hobby and those and and those that were in Silicon Valley raising millions of dollars? What if we created a space for those people in between? And what if we brought them together? And some people were doing it um, in a way that felt very corporate. And it sort of missed the mark. Yeah. And I thought what was so great about Smarty and your reinvention from a brand point of view, which then 
uh, begged for a certain population to to follow and to to participate and to join was that you really understood what we were talking about when we said we want to be entrepreneurs. We wanted to leave the navy suits and the pantyhose and all those things aside. And I've been to these entrepreneurial events where everybody in there looks like a, a bank teller. Yeah. And I'm so confused. And I think that was part of the brilliance of what you did with Smarty. And it was very much your personality. Like I saw you infused in it. So I want you to talk a little bit more about why you did that, why you built that against the landscape I just painted for everyone, and then why you chose to leave and pivot um, from something that was having so much success. Well, it's a big question, and it could be a really big answer, but I'm going to turn it into <laughs> a three-part answer. The first part is why, why did I create it? And I created it by accident because I was part of a different organization called Ladies Who Launch, which had very good intentions, and it created women's entrepreneurial markets in over 50 states and had two really ambitious founders, and we wrote a book together, and I really helped them develop that business. And I was constantly apologizing for that business. Why? Because it was called Ladies Who Launch, first of all. And secondly, <laughs> <laughs> no explanation needed. And secondly, because talk about pink washing, it was yeah. the pink wash. Mm -hmm. So for me, it did not resonate. And here I was part of its DNA. And yet every time I would tell someone about it, I would say, but ignore the website, ignore the name, like la la la. The, it's the people that matter. It's the essence. It's the mission. And that was true. It had a great essence and mission. But when things started to fall apart with that company and it had nothing to do with me, but just as, as startups sometimes do, um, I, I saw the opportunity to design, this is part two of the question, what mm -hmm. I did want. And it felt like a piece of fruit I just couldn't not pick. It felt so truthful and so exciting to say, guess what? We're going to have fun and not take ourselves too seriously about something that is kind of serious, which is our life's work and expressing ourselves in the world and building companies that matter and taking our, our purpose and making something of it. And so that's what I did. And I had the benefit of leaping off of an existing platform with an audience that I had built in Los Angeles with their help and saying, I'm going a different direction and anyone who wants to come can come. And beautifully, most yeah, people came. Yeah, came. Yeah, they <laughs> did. <came. laughs> they yes. did. They it's did. true. And so, so the pivot part, part so three Part that. three. So one one thing that was happening at the same time I was running Smarty is digital was taking on a life of its own. So TED Talks emerged and a lot of online content related to entrepreneurship. Podcasts may be super, super early, but I wasn't even thinking about that. But you could go to a Smarty event and cross town, pay for parking, find a seat, have to talk to strangers, and go to an incredible event, a really inspiring, interesting, substantive evening, and then get in your car, drive through less traffic, 
you know, 30 minutes home and whatever. Or you could press play and listen to a TED Talk yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And that that sort of trend started at the same time I had had my second daughter. So I had two babies at one time and felt um, like I had questions about bringing them up in Los Angeles. And I saw my husband really stressed out by his life and work and traffic and actually just Lincoln Boulevard, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's That was maybe the tipping point for both of us, just Lincoln Boulevard and sitting on Lincoln wondering, is this it? Yeah. And one day we were talking, we were in the living room, and I think he had just like been sprinting from our office, which was in a converted garage to the interior part of the house and had run smack into the glass sliding door oh and and like tipped backwards and like fell on the ground then drove to teach a class like with a partial concussion um got home that night like the kids had both thrown up like just you know day <laughs> yeah. in the life yeah. and we just looked at each other and I was like like this doesn't seem sustainable this doesn't seem like the plan, really. Yeah, I don't even uh, if it's sustainable, it's it, hardly thriving. It, it's hardly thriving. Yeah. I didn't feel good. I could see he didn't feel good. And one of the greatest uh, times in our life was when we would go for two weeks in the summer to his hometown of Manchester by the Sea, Massachusetts, where I currently live, and play on the beach and walk among the shingled houses and see the fireflies and eat lobster rolls and have ice cream. And it just seemed like such a breath of fresh air. So I suggested that we do a trial year in Manchester. And it was kind of a radical idea because I owned a business in LA, like one that really required my attention and my person. <laughs> yes. Yes. and your, your physical person. My physical yeah. person. Yeah. And there were just so many considerations. And I didn't really even... I didn't even really work out the logistics of what that would be. I just said, I, I think we're going to need to make a big change. And I think that might be something we should try. And I'll work it out with Smarty. Like, I don't know where my model is going, but I can see that there are holes in it. And I'm not going out to find sponsors to become like a TEDx, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean? Am I exhausted by this? It, do I even mind leaving my business? So what I did was commute and I ran events like every six to eight weeks. I commuted from the East Coast in during our one-year trial. And then I got really sick. Hmm. And that is the end of part three's question. Yeah. Yeah. And and probably when you look back at that, the decision, it, it, it the decision to have left without any of the kind of emotional weight of the responsibility of Smarty and not even Smarty the business, but Smarty, all those people, all yeah. those people who were leaning on you, leaning on what that community provided for them. Um, the idea that you could have pulled that plug sooner, um, for some reason, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but in those moments, it just seems like a slow motion process. It it's was. just one thing at a time. I'm slowly going to pull away this way. So in some ways, getting sick as difficult as that, as that was, and it was serious, Yeah. Um, 
probably was the thing that needed to happen to just stop you. Yeah, it stopped me in my tracks. Um, And yeah, when you're worried about your health and you're trying to figure it out and get better, everything becomes really clear. Priorities become clear. And what isn't a priority becomes even more clear. So I knew that I was up to something good with Smarty in some way that had to do with my voice. And it didn't necessarily have to be an interview. It didn't have to be an event. But what happened essentially was I got sick and what my illness was, was tuberculosis. So the way that presents and manifests is just a lot of fatigue and shortness of breath and night sweats. And you just, you start to wither. I was down to just over a hundred pounds. It's a very scary wasting kind of disease. I mean, it's, it's deadly if you don't treat it. So it was hard to figure out because most people in my position where I live in the world and who I am don't get TB. So it is not the thing that they look for. And it took a long time to figure out. It was, it was a pretty dark and awful time. I lost my voice literally for seven months. I could make no sound. It was, um, you know, it was one of those things that's a before and after. That was before. Now it's after. I find it fascinating that you've lost your actual voice. <laughs> I know. For somebody know. who works with people to help find their voice. The irony what, is, yeah. is uh, pretty thick. Yeah. What did that do in that season to help you? Because I want to get to where you then reemerged because you had done some of this strategy and content creation prior to Smarty. Yeah. Um, that I, I think that's probably why Ladies Who Launch... Yes. needed you and what you helped them build. That's right. So then you you pivot back. You you have TB. You start to get healthy again. Um, you, I think, have reprioritized what you do and don't want to do through that process. Now, how do you emerge as a writer, as a content creator, as a strategist for brands? What is it that, what is what was the process that you went through that said, okay, th- now this is my next move? Well, all throughout Smarty, I maintained a relationship with an agency in LA that I still work with called, well, it was called Air Conditioned. It's going to go through a transition now um, because one of the partners in Air Conditioned unfortunately passed away recently. Mm-hmm. So it, I always maintained a relationship with them and with other agencies doing really important work. So I always had work. I, I said no to some of it, but during the ladies who launched slash smarty years during those transition years, I did one of the biggest projects I've ever done in my life, which was brand city center, which was at the time, the biggest real estate development, a $7 billion project in Las Vegas. So I wrote all the copy for Mandarin Oriental for all these residences, just a ton of stuff. And I don't even know how I stayed afloat because it was such a huge project and I was running a business and I had a baby and I was trying to stay married-ish. You know, it just was like, I mean, I must say when I look back, I, my, like not even my marriage was my priority at that time. And I was like pretty newly married because I had so many balls in the air. And that's, so when I think about that time, it was very productive, but manic and bananas. Do you think that 
that's avoidable. Would you say to a 20-year-old, early 30-year-old, would you say, hey, just avoid that? Just, just, just go right to the Manchester by the sea life and just don't even bother? Or do you think there's kind of something in that process? There's a sifting, there's a, a, that challenge, that grind produces something that is required of us. I think it's the tax you pay on your way to knowing what's what. Oh, that's good. Ooh, a quotable by Amy Swift. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. That's but, good. Yeah. yeah, I do. I think you don't know how good this is unless you know how intense that was. Yeah. And the, so, and there's fruit from it. I mean, again, is. when you talked about the planting and sort of cultivating that those relationships and that expertise is paying off now. It um, is. It, it totally is. I still work with people I worked with on that project. Gensler was the executive architect. I still do projects with people who are partners with Gensler. And I understand all those brands now and can still uh, drop into those spaces, whether it's hospitality or construction or whatever, and feel really comfortable because I've been there for so long. So to your original question, how did I get back into strategy and writing? I had never entirely left. Um, I had almost left. I, I just kept doing it a little bit. And then when I remember when I got sick, when I was in the hospital recovering, weirdly, I got this strange little project from NBC. And this is once I was already on antibiotics and on my way to being better, but I still couldn't talk. But the looming what is it problem had been cracked, like a group mm -hmm. of infectious disease people had said officially, okay, this is TB, this is how we're going to treat it. And But I was in uh, isolation at Mass General. So I was in a double door uh, negative pressure room by myself and everybody who came in had to wear like this kind of three-part mask and wow. there I was by myself all day and I remember getting this job from NBC and thinking to myself is there any good reason I shouldn't do this I'm in hospital I have nothing to do <laughs> these, these, I love it these uh these antibiotics are probably doing their job so why don't I just do it I love that. Um, did they have any no, clue for no, your condition? No, no. Nope. They sure didn't. Still don't. And so, and so really it was, again, sort of the pivot was I've left Smarty. That's, that, that had to happen. Or I've put Smarty away. Well, I've filed that. What it, what it was was I changed the model of Smarty. So I okay. said, okay, if I'm going to say something online and it's not going to be an invitation to an event or selling a workshop or a Q&A with an entrepreneur, what is it? And mm -hmm. that's when I started to get really serious and talking to my girlfriends uh, who had been, you know, kind of in the organization with me or around me who own their own businesses and saying, what do I really want to do? And what I really wanted to do was say what I really think about a lot of stuff. And that had to do with not only marketing and branding, but the humanity of walking this road adjacent to work, central to work, behind work, in front of work, but not always about work. Yeah. So that's, and that's we what I started doing. Your blog in the show notes, but 
for anybody who, I mean, Amy already knows what a fan I am, but your writing is special and I think has the ability to um, very elegantly cut to the chase. Um, you do a, a marvelous job. Thank um, you. Of being, uh, of, of, and bringing things into our, um, into our mind, into our um, thoughts about things that don't normally linger. Um, it's, it's sort of like, oh, Amy's introducing something that I haven't actually given much thought to. And I find that most things that we're reading on blogs and things like that are like another rehashed version of the same thing. And uh, so refreshing is um, putting it lightly, but it, I think that's a, a great word. So we'll, we will definitely have the in the show notes for everybody to take a look. And I really, really encourage you to, to take a look at, at Amy's writing. We don't Thank get you. any kickback for saying that. No. It's just good stuff. It's just good stuff. No, I don't sell anything on the blog. I don't make a dime off the blog. So uh, a new visitor, a new subscriber is just wonderful to have. Well, let me ask you this. This is a good kind of place to introduce this next question, which is, so it's all word of mouth, your business, but you've been able to develop this really um, clear point of view. As a consultant who is kind of full with the relationships that you currently have, what do you do to just grow a pipeline for safety. So in your case, it's different than somebody else who's like, I've got clients, but I need more clients. And so I have to do both. I have to manage my clients and continue to grow that base. For you, it's not growing it because you need it in the, in, the, in, in the present time, but that you just want to make sure people are around, aware, know of who you are. Does the blog help with that? I think it does. And I didn't know that it would as much as it does. So, so that was a surprise for you. That it was, was more a surprise. Of a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a surprise because <clears throat> I started writing the blog to express a truth that I wasn't expressing in any other way that I had previously expressed on a panel or with the platform mm -hmm. that I had. I had an audience. I had a way to have the experience of here's what I think and other people saying, oh my gosh, me too. And da 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 da. So that collective shared conversation was happening in person. So I took a leap and one day, <clears throat> instead of writing a newsletter, I wrote what would I would call more of an essay. And I wish I even knew what the first one was. I'll have to go <laughs> back and look. But <clears throat> I, I said something really truthful and it was unlike anything I had ever written before. And it was probably kind of unorthodox because I tend to disagree with whatever the conventional wisdom on something is. And not disagree, but just have a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I press send and I got all of this feedback from my list, from my subscribers, from people just saying, wow, never heard you rant like this or express like this before. And it was just a reassuring signpost that I really didn't know why I was going to do it or what's what was going to come of it. I really didn't know. And I had to get super comfortable not knowing what the point was. As an entrepreneur, you get so tied to results and ROI. Mm. And yes. if I do this, what do I, what am I hoping will happen? And sometimes 
especially with art and creativity, you actually shouldn't know. And knowing is detrimental to the journey you need to go on. I yeah, didn't. I, I, I'm sorry. I have to just pause yeah. for a second because, um, first of all, amen, um, a million amens to that. But also, as you were talking, I was thinking, Amy had the whether it was the mind, you know, the the that you had processed this in advance, or that it just sort of happened. But to have your business that did beg for results, you you have your this consulting business, you know, that you're working with these clients, and and that's where you kind of focus on the ROI and, and all those other things. But then you had this outlet uh, and this community of people that still got to listen to your voice, but you got to dig deeper into what your voice is. You got to experience for the first time what they were experiencing for the first time, and they started to journey with you. But yes. because there was no expectation, and I love that you you refer to it as an art that doesn't that shouldn't know the direction it's going or, or shouldn't even have an intention other than the art itself. What that has, I mean, I'm so curious, Amy, to see five years from now, what your writing becomes um, and where it takes you. Because I think all this space for you to play, this new playground is going to create a wholly different platform for you. And we'll be hearing from you in a new way. I hope so. And I don't know if I hope so. I, I feel both <laughs> things at the same time. Yeah. Because yeah. I I'm really trying not to tie my output with even feedback. Like I cannot decide that I have a voice in the world or something to say only because somebody hears me say it and likes me saying it. That, okay, that took years of um, hard work and yielded some wisdom before you could get to that point. I don't Definitely. know. I, I mean, I don't know, even at my age, if I can answer that, honestly. And, and I don't know that, that I'm walking the same. That, that truth every single minute of every single day. It's just the one I'm trying to remember when I get up in the morning. Yeah. I like that. We're going to, we're going to have to, there's too many quotables here, Amy. You're kind oh. of ruining it um, for us. <laughs> I'm only oh. supposed to, I'm only supposed to come up with a couple and I think there's, there's too many here. Oh, good. Um, thank you for that truth because I think there's a part of that that's going to set us free. And then there's a part of that that's going to cause us to really dig uh, deep and to help um, create a space to allow something that doesn't have an expectation or doesn't have um, a need other than to satisfy the present. And so thank you for that thought. Once again, Amy Swift comes in out of left field with a fresh new concept. <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to tell you to follow your passion. You can always count on me for that. Yeah, I, there is a great article. In fact, you're reminding me, I'll have to post it on Instagram. Um, but this woman is... Uh, She's saying basically what that's doing in particular to millennials. Yeah. Um, that that is, um, it's, it's messing with their ability to get some really solid experience and it's, it forgets the importance of hard work, the importance of sitting at a desk and not knowing what you're doing and not knowing why you're doing it. 
And that this concept of following your passion is just in some ways can be another lie and you can get tripped up on that. I have felt this way for years and I have been alone standing in the field saying, (laughs) stop taking your passion as a sign that that's where you should go. It it actually doesn't really work like that. And think about this. When you tell kids, for instance, or somebody in college, find your passion and then follow it, can you imagine the pressure that puts on them to find their passion? How about pay attention to what's interesting to you and follow those leads? Yes. And I had to change my own language because I was guilty of doing that early on asking, you know, my clients, you know, what are you passionate about? What kind of makes you tick? And I realized at some point I had to start asking, what are you curious about? Mm -hmm. Because it removed the pressure. And uh, you could be curious about 10 things and throw them out on a wall and and it didn't matter. But when you ask the, what's the thing you're passionate about? It just created a whole level of pressure that was wholly unnecessary and actually didn't fuel um, the, the, the thing that we were trying to advance. It it really didn't do anything to get them from A to B. It's such an interesting conversation. And I think it's worth an event. Um, I think it's, it's worth a book called like, um, kill your passion or something that's disarming that will sell that gets people to open it and say, you know what? You can also protect your passion by not turning it into your job. You can discover your passion at 60 years old and you will not have wasted your life. You can have 10 passions that all kind of match the same level on the passion meter and they might not even hit 10. They might all be sevens. That's okay too. Well, I think, Amy, you're going to write that book. Um, Those are like five chapters you just (laughs) What are you waiting for? (laughs) I know. No, we'll we'll sell it on our site. Come on, let's go. (laughs) Um, I want to ask you something because there's, there really is, I feel like we could sit here with you and just unload more and more wisdom upon wisdom. But I would love for you to just share with our audience if there's something that you, and I think this passion one is a really important one, but an additional thing that you would like to share with them about this journey of becoming an entrepreneur. It could be from a point of view of what fueled you and your desire to become an entrepreneur or a solopreneur. It could be um, from a point of view of just, hey, ladies, don't forget to blah, blah, blah. What, what, what's a kind of parting piece of wisdom you'd like to share? So the first thing I would say is to get clear about unpacking what entrepreneurship means to you. And if you are buying the marketing around entrepreneurship that our culture is selling and it is selling something, or if you're defining it for yourself as a set of values expressed through a certain kind of lifestyle, making something, offering something to the world, and which is it? Because entrepreneurship as defined, let's say, by Silicon Valley is you start something you build equity in it, you create an asset, and then you sell it. That is one definition, and it's fine. But I think there's a layer of entrepreneurial language that's hovering over everyone who wants to start a business that isn't necessarily true. 
And it doesn't account for a lot of the nuance of what entrepreneurship can mean. So prior to speaking with you today, Netta, I was Skyping with Kim Kranz, who is the, an artist, and you may know her from a brand called The Wild Unknown. Mm-hmm. She has a tarot deck that's very popular on Amazon. And we were talking about what entrepreneurship means because I was telling her about this podcast. And she looked it up, and the Latin root of entrepreneur is entra, which means to swim out, and prendus, which means to capture or grasp. Hmm. Oh, I love that. I love it. It's wow. a much, much cleaner, accessible way to think about starting, making, growing, creating. Yeah. Yeah. As I, I had a meeting on Friday um, with somebody from the Silicon Mindset and it was interesting. I mean, it was it was a lovely meeting and helpful um, in lots of ways. But I also spent, you know, the better part of the twenty minute drive home thinking, I'm not sure that he gets what I'm talking about. I'm not sure he understands the nuance of what what we're trying to create. Yes. Um, and to be, you know, just telling myself, reminding myself to be careful that I can take the nuggets that he had to share that are good and I can apply them, excuse me, to my business, but also leave room for my interpretation of what this needs to be and leave room for um, my experience in working with women all these years and and to go ahead and own that. Um, and, And so I think the definition that you just gave us leaves room for that and gives uh, permission for that to also be true. Yeah. It's funny when you have those kind of meetings with people who know a lot and they're worth listening to. And just in general, in your existence, when you put something out there, an idea that you want to grow, it's almost like you have to realize there's importance in being the sponge and being porous and absorbent for that information. And it's also important to be Teflon and wick what actually doesn't apply. And one more quotable from Amy. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So that's, that's a nice transition into, I, I want to pick your brain. You've Thank you so much. You've actually already given so much of your story has uh, given our audience, I think, some really tangible takeaways in terms of doing some deep thinking and also from a strategy point of view. Um, just to think of what does this mean to me and what does this not mean to me? Is this a missional sort of thing? Is it a movement? Is it a bottom line driven kind of entity that I'm going into? Does it not have an ROI? Does it not have an expectation? And can I just let myself be in it for a season and even remove the word entrepreneur and just, and just move forward and see what happens. And I think you've, you've given legs to a lot of those things. So thank you for that. But I am going to further pick your brain. And I want to ask you again, the, our listeners are women who are in ideation all the way to I'm 10 years in and I, 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 you know, I'm trying to grow another revenue stream or I need to rebrand or whatever. So with that in mind, Um, And there are a few out there who are wondering if they should themselves become consultants, if they should launch a practice similar to yours. What's your advice to them? What do you think they should be considering before they do that? 
Before starting a practice? Yeah. Or starting a new revenue stream? Or starting a practice. Let's let's look at you specifically and what you're doing today. I mean, one of the things you said is that there were years of cultivating relationships and now you've you don't have to to go out and mine those. Mm-hmm. They exist and it's a word of mouth business. Let's say somebody is at the beginning of that. Right. What would you say to them? Well, there's there's a pervasive message out there to play big and to play bigger. But I believe that when you're starting out, I give you permission to play small and to make those mistakes with people who are forgiving and who can kind of walk with you a little bit down the beginning road. And I have no problem, and I did this myself, with charging a little bit less when you're not steeped in the work yet. You're not, you don't have the the background and experience built yet to stand on a $10,000 retainer. And you can kind of feel that. And I'm not saying you're not worth it. And I'm not saying that day won't come. But I think it's really easy to get jazzed up by like an inspirational speaker or podcast and be like, I'm worth it. I'm totally going to charge 5000 for that. And they can take it and leave it. It's yeah. like, well. <laughs> yeah, they might leave it. They actually. might leave it. They could leave it. They might yeah. leave it. And part of the education is doing the work. Yeah. The work. And, and I would even say to those who do take it, by the way, that's not necessarily a victory unless you're really giving them that value. Exactly. And mm, so totally to be agree. wary of that. Yeah. It's a, I think it sets up, it sets up an inflated sense of, well, that person paid it, so I must be worth it. Like, hold on, hold on. How long have you been doing this? How many different brands, how many different whatevers have you done? Is it worth doing 10 sessions of XYZ for, you know, less than maybe the market standard to get the experience to then know what you're doing? Could that be part of your education? I, I guess I feel bothered sometimes with this cheerleading and rallying cry for you can play bigger. What are you playing a big enough game? Why does it have to be big? Why do we have to build empires? Why do we have to come out of the gate like heroes and superstars? It's okay to walk before you can run and build a credible business with integrity based on experience, best practices, and working with a variety of people who help form an approach. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I think that, um, it builds a longer, uh, more stable and sustainable business in terms of building that reputation for yourself. It and, does. And you don't have a fraud complex because yes. you've actually done the work it takes to get to where you are. So yeah. you don't find yourself in a room with a CEO and a CMO, six board members <clears throat> and like two interns going, oh my God, I actually don't know if I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, everyone always has like a shadow of that, but you go in saying, I've done this 150 times. Here's how we're going to start. And then you start and the minute you start, you're in your flow. You know, That's right. But- and when you don't know what you're doing, because that, that fraud complex is a real thing. And in the beginning, you also know you're not paying top dollar for it. That exactly. <laughs> what you're feeling it- is yeah. warranted and 
over time, you will overcome this. And so will the the reputation and the dollars and the the, the growth of your, your platform in general. Totally. You do not have to be that confident in starting it. You have to actually be really humble and go slow and just play, play in the playground where you're comfortable and then go to the next one and then go to the next one. You just don't have to leap off a cliff into the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so having said that there are, and, and I'm not saying anything is good or bad about this, but I just want to look at the landscape. There are lots of online, online classes and people who are creating webinars and you pay X amount and, um, you know, you're a free subscriber and then that subscription, uh, rolls into the opportunity to a discount for XYZ class. Uh, as a consultant, as somebody who's built up an expertise, what's your advice on choosing to sell that expertise to the masses, like what I just described, versus doing what you're doing, which is one-on-one going really deep with a specific client? Anything they should be aware of or... Um, mindful of as they choose one process over the other. Again, this is for somebody who's built some sort of expertise. Likely they've already been told they're crazy not to. Mm -hmm. And to that, I would say you're not crazy if you do it and you're not crazy if you don't do it. Building a model like that does not mean you're going to make money overnight or that it will be successful or that for $97 and they always end in sevens, that it's all <laughs> going to work out. Yeah. That it's, it's a certain kind of model and a lot of really legitimate and maybe a little bit illegitimate people get into it. So you have a range of people with a whole lot of integrity and those who do want to make a quick buck. So that's the ocean you're swimming in. And I'm not saying it's a bad ocean, but that's the ocean. Yeah. And I I would say to anybody listening, if you're interested in that, I would listen to Alexa Fisher's podcast with us because she talks about that's great. Go for it. But it's a long game. A and long you have game. To, yeah. You really have to understand that in order to put out good content that's meaningful, that'll stand the test of time, that this is something that over the course of five years plus, you're going to see that revenue coming in and you're going to see um, that sea of people opening up. But it's not about, you know, if you know if you build it, they will come immediately. That's not how that works. Yeah. Alexa has really walked the path and it's, it's always billed as a short-term solution to long-term revenue. And it's actually a a long game from day one. It, nothing is a short, your, your squeeze page has to be revised 10 times from messaging alone to be authentic and really reflective of you. I mean, that's just the tiniest grain of sand in the entire chain of events that happen in an online model. So I have chosen not to do it. It doesn't mean I'll never do some sort of digital model, but I have found that what I do feels inauthentic to package in a way that's formulaic or prescriptive for anybody who buys it. And, and I think by virtue of that, you better understand if when the time does come or if the time comes for you to do that, 
what is formulaic? What is something that is applicable to all platforms, all people, you know, within, within some range. And you can give that out in a, in a meaningful way. There will be real results for those people who are taking those classes because there are some things that we should all do. It's sort of like, you know, grammar versus creative writing. There are some things that we should all be doing. Yep. Um, Yep. And, and to be able to allow for both. Okay. Thank you for that. So this is something that really, um, lends itself to your kind of brand strategy mind with so many brands competing for the same audience. And I often ask this question because it's one that I get a lot from my clients and from people in general, how do we tell our brand story in a way that's sticky and really builds loyalty? You'd think I'd have like the quick answer since I do this all day. I actually am glad that you don't. (laughs) I'm glad that you're thinking about it because it is a hard question and it also depends on who you are and the size of your business and who you're trying to, you know, who you're, who you're pulling, what's your demographic, what Mm -hmm. what product or Mm -hmm. service you have. There's so many things to consider, but I just, for example, I would say that your blog is sticky because it's truthful. It's steeped in an authentic voice. Um, and so I'll go back to it and I'm not reading very many blogs. Um, and so there's, there's something about that. So a lot of us say, Oh, just be your authentic self. And there's a lot of (laughs) inauthentic, authentic selves running out there. Everyone's authentic self is, you know, millennial pink and, um, has some quotable from Maya Angelou. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a lot of regurgitated, unoriginal thinking there. Yeah. I would say one of the most important things you can do is know the difference between what you're selling and what they're buying. Mm. They're different. can, Can you articulate those differences a little bit? Sure. So we all think that the thing that we're selling is the thing that they're buying. So let's say you're a company that sells party products. You sell fans and paper lanterns and tablecloths and really cool decorative plates and glasses. So you're selling party supplies. People are buying belonging. Oh, okay. In this particular case. So it's really easy to think people come to us because they want to buy party supplies. Yes and no. When they come to you, if you have identified what you're selling versus what they're buying, you will create a story that feels like I belong here when they arrive. And and so as we try to understand from a customer point of view what that is, is it sort of listening to what they're not saying? Is it being more forthright and sending out survey monkeys and saying, hey, what are you, what are you buying <laughs> no, from they us? Won't, what they, do you do? they won't know the answer to that. Because they don't know them. that, no, right? They, they don't, don't know. know that that's... Let's use beauty counter as an example. So okay. what they are selling is an accessible, uh, non-toxic beauty product that is commensurate with a lot of other things in that category. So... sure. Um, you could, there's a lot of options there, but they're selling a non-toxic version. So that's what they're selling. What are you buying? Reassurance. Uh, yes. 
I totally get it. And the way that you sell that reassurance goes beyond the actual product. That's right. You know, whether it's the copy or the, even the imagery that you're using, um, has to be consistent with that. That's right. Um, that's really helpful. Like, let's look at Bon Appetit magazine. So Mm -hmm. they are selling recipes and how to's. That's what they're selling. Mm -hmm. What are you buying? You're buying, I'm the kind of person who bakes banana bread. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. what does that mean? That means I'm organized. I'm, could be, I'm creative. I'm domestic. I'm, it could be a number of things, but you know what it means to me. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, <laughs> I just what yelled is that. I got so excited. Um, it to me, I translate that to I have time for my family. That's right. I care about my family. Mm-hmm. I've made time. Exactly. So, as someone who was carving pumpkins at ten o'clock last night, oh my girl, gosh. please, I was baking those pumpkin seeds and <laughs> yeah. like half burning them and being like, "Oh my god, no, they're not burnt, you guys. They're supposed to be charred. They're supposed to be charred." I know you're like, I planned this beautiful moment for our family. Is everyone happy? Great, it's over. Everyone get in bed right now. Um, yes, and- I totally get that, and I that's um, I love that selfishly. I I know what to do with that and and how to. how to sort of ask some of those questions on, on behalf of Liberty, even like, what is it that our customer ultimately is getting out of this, wants to get out of this needs from us? Yeah. Um, because as we just said, there's lots of people talking about the entrepreneurial women thing. So, um, so what mistakes do you see brands making over and over again, whether it's large brands, some of the ones that maybe you mentioned or smaller businesses who we wouldn't know about, but what mistake do they make in terms of not telling their brand story or, or even just the oversight of the importance of their brand story? Well, first of all, I think you're always telling a story through all your touch points. So an airline is telling a story by the people they hire to serve the seven up. Mm-hmm. And a hotel is telling a story by the products they have in the shower and whether they have any counter space in the bathroom for all the stuff that you actually bring when you travel and use the bathroom. You sound annoyed. It's it's so it's so irritating. Somebody just pissed you off in I, your last hotel stay. I, I do not understand the the basin sink with no countertop. Yeah. Yeah. Do I really want to put my beautiful Stephanie Johnson um, makeup kit on the back of the toilet? The answer is no, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just stayed in this fabulous hotel in San Francisco called uh, San Francisco Proper. Mm-hmm. And the the way they're telling their story is by being thoughtful about the gym, about open stairwells with tons of lighting so women feel safe going up and down through a hotel staff who gave me a USB cord so that I didn't have to go looking for one when I forgot my phone charger through mm. um, counter space in the bathroom, check, yeah. and <laughs> through a number of other touch points that felt like a cohesive, thoughtful story. And I didn't even ever go on their website because I booked it through Hotel Tonight. There's a lot of buzz marketing going on right now. I know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love but, it. But they, they, they told a story to me and I never looked at any of their marketing. That's the, yeah, I, I I want everybody to hear that again, as somebody who 
um, spends time working with brands, the importance of your, your, I think everybody thinks that it's your logo and your fonts. Right. And it is, and it is those things too, but beyond those, yeah, yes, it is, it is the experience that the customer is having with you. Um, and that's, you mean, you just, you just said it right there. Um, and I love that you actually came at it from not having their collateral in front of you, from not not intentionally hearing their brand story, but experiencing it. Yeah. And I walked away from that, then going to their website and then going to their Instagram, you know, days later and just saying, wow, they're, they, they nailed it. And I wrote them. I never write reviews on TripAdvisor. I wrote one. I wrote them a love letter, which I really believe in. And now they know. And I gave them detailed feedback and said, I am a difficult customer. Shock. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and they were so appreciative. And I gave them a couple of suggestions. Um, but uh, conversely, I'm very annoyed at the moment with Stella Artois, the beer company. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've Do blogged, tell. I know, well, I just blogged about it. I haven't pressed send on that one yet, but they've got this ad campaign on Spotify that is something like these days, rare moments are hard to come by. So host one to remember. And I could not disagree anymore that rare moments are hard to come by. Mo- oh, interesting. Moments are are happening all the time that are worth having and totally banal and totally cursory in the course of a day. And all of them are worth having. And in the in the course of what's going on in the world of our country and the amount of suffering we're we're privy to because of social media, like we know what's going on with the Rohingya in Bangladesh. And Myanmar, it's devastating. We know that there's a threat with North Korea. We know that our government is falling apart and being led by an unqualified person. I mean, there's a lot going on. And I would say we're all really freaking appreciative to have a moment at all. And they're all kind of meaningful. And how, I mean, let's say that Stella um, would have gone to you or somebody like you or spent time thinking about that messaging, that could have been, um, that, that same message, that same sentiment with a change of a few words could have changed everything for them in terms of talking about celebratory moments or moments where we gather. They they got it right with every day. What they want to say is it has to do with celebrating everyday moments. That that thinking, that strategy was right, but mm-hmm. whoever was in charge of the copy missed the point and instead said the opposite by accident and then someone approved that. So if I were to rewrite the copy, I would say everyday moments are everywhere and worth celebrating. Share them with the people who matter by hosting one to remember. Not that you've thought about this at all. No, no, no. <laughs> I was off the top of my head. Yeah. No, but I th- I love all the examples you're giving. And I even want to, po- we'll, we'll put in the show notes, the, the hotel, the San Francisco proper, just so people can see what you mean, even though they'll be experiencing it from the brand's point of view, they're not necessarily going to be guests 
perhaps they will right. be. Right. But just to give hard these hard examples uh, or concrete examples, I think helps us to, I know for me, that's, I, I live in examples. I yes. want to see, show, show me what you're talking about. Please don't, please don't tell me in theory, just yep. show me what you're talking about. So I think that's super helpful. Um, so you, you talked about the fact that uh, early on that just in, in this, or maybe it wasn't in the podcast, maybe when it was when you and I were chatting, but just that you've been on three trips in the last month back to the West Coast and you have two children and you're married to awesome Josh. And what what is it that, um, and, and I've heard you say that you're keeping really strict working hours around your, your children's uh, school schedule. Yeah. What is it, that you're doing to sort of, or what is it that you've done? And perhaps it was even in, in being sick, um, to really manage your time, prioritize self-care and give yourself space for things like your hobbies and your writing and things that don't, are not monetizable. What are the things that or, or how did you, I guess, this is the real question, how did you get to the point where you knew that it was worth making time for all those things? Well, being sick was, as you said, a big turning point that you can't unlearn what you learn. You can ignore it, you can forget, but you always know when you're making a bad choice and saying yes too many times, you know, you know, you yeah. feel bad, you show up, you know, like a zombie, it's not your best self. And then there are consequences. And yeah. unless you get really present to the consequences, you won't change anything or have the discipline to sustain a schedule that is intolerant of that. Yeah. So, and you won't be changed. And I don't want to underestimate the value of that because I think a lot of what we do, the, the, the real benefit is that we change as people and that we emerge better and that we emerge yeah. more thoughtful and more spiritually connected. And, um, and so I think some of the value of all of these things of being truthful and, and when you talk about that knowing is if I lean into that, then what's going to come of this is a better me, um, and not a better me so that I can make more money, just a better me. Yeah. There's a great word in German called Zerissenheit, and I'm sure I'm mangling it, but Zerissenheit. It means to have inner conflict and be at odds with yourself. Hmm. And if you've ever felt it, which every human has, it's a terrible feeling to try to be two places at one time and you're sort of shorting yourself like all the time. Yeah. It's it's like talking to someone on the phone and returning an email at the same time. It's kind of gross. Yeah. And you know yeah. it is. And that has a – there's the consequence to that that builds up and there is a cost. It just doesn't uh, manifest at that very moment. So um, in terms of the logistics involved in trying to have as few of those as possible – I just don't schedule any calls past 2.45 on the East Coast. And keep in mind, I have a ton of West Coast work. Yeah. So that's irritating for them. 
Yeah. But they, you train them, right? You teach people mm -hmm. how to treat you. I, and... I train them. And then occasionally I have to do something once the kids go to bed at like nine o'clock my time. And I do everything possible to work around that, to never have that happen. Because is that what I want to be doing at nine o'clock at night? No. I want to be reading T Magazine in bed with my heating pad. <laughs> <laughs> did you say teen mag what did you no, just say no, no t t like oh, from tea. the new york times style magazine okay yeah. okay i was like <laughs> oh my gosh amy you just nosedived where did you go with that teen magazine okay t t thank you for that i want to be um, reading tiger beat in bed yeah. i was gonna i was gonna say well, let's talk about this later amy There's, you're, you've almost got this life thing down we just gotta eradicate oh your your magazine habit so, um, let in in terms of talking about managing your life, any resources or tools or apps that you use that ha you have found to be helpful, or you know, this is the one I I use every day, and I'm diligent about it. Mm -hmm. I try to, in terms of the information that I'm taking in content wise, I try to have a pretty strict filter on what I listen to, what I watch, what I read, and I. I try to balance it with the things I feel like I should know as a global citizen and the, I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure, but the things that keep my mood uplifted and that engage me as a creative person and as an artist. And some of my favorite uh, things to listen to are, I would say, I listen to The Daily, the New York Times podcast mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I find it just really informative and incredible. And then after I listen to The Daily, if I'm still working out or on my walk, I listen to Judge John Hodgman, um, the Judge John Hodgman podcast, because it's hilarious. And if you like people like Ira Glass, you will uh -huh. also like okay. Judge John That's Hodgman. Good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I use, I don't check my email at night. It is also not the first thing I check in the morning. I make a list of the things that I'm thinking about that are due that need to happen today, regardless of what is waiting in my little electronic vessel in front of me. Yeah. So I had I've to been, learn that lesson. It's a good one uh, to learn. It yeah. is so good. It and will I, set you free. It will. And I've been doing it for a long time. And it's the thing that doesn't, as much as I like would love to know what somebody, you know, when I send out a blog, it's really hard Tuesday night at 11 o'clock not to see if anybody like commented or shared or whatever, but sure. that is not good sleeping music, me no. being on my phone <laughs> doing that. So no. I just try to be disciplined. I'm not perfect, but uh, yeah. I also, I, I don't know, I really see working out and moving my body as being very therapeutic um, I feel like fitness is the new religion, actually. I take the class with Taryn Toomey. I take bar three. Um, I like a lot of different things. I suppose I could buzz market my husband's program, Indo Row and Shockwave, yes. but they're actually not here and I can't really do them. So okay. they, they are awesome, but... Um, yeah, I don't but do that. We regularly. gave him a shout out anyway. So we you did. Get, you get you credit, can't be you, mad. You get credit for that. There is not going to be a fight after this podcast. No, airs. no, there's not. Um, 
Okay. Those are good. And we will definitely, anyone listening, don't pull over and stop and try and get Amy's uh, notes. We will have it all listed for you in the show notes. So I want to just ask you one last question before we get into our quick six. You ran this Smarty community for a really long time. I'm going back to something we addressed in the first part of the interview. And you got to see, um, you kind of got a front row seat into seeing people who'd succeeded and people who never really got off the ground. In your estimation, what do you think, or what are the signs of early success um, versus this is probably not going to get off the ground? This is probably going to fail. Well, I always noticed with each person I interviewed what they defined as success in their business. And when they defined it only as evaluation or a number or a sale price, I wondered how long they would last because it's a really narrow way to look at things. And by the way, like that's what business school teaches you. And yeah. that's what most companies, I mean, do you think the people at Uber think I'm right? No, they don't. They disagree. They're, they're looking for profits. And right. I'm not saying profits aren't important, but if it's the only thing that you're going to define your success and what's meaningful to you, I feel like you'll either emotionally fail within the business and burn out and feel uninspired to continue, or really your financial numbers won't be met because very few people do meet them if you look at the data. Yeah. So there has to be more there. Your why has to be beyond profits. Why do you exist? And the people who are successful usually had a great sense of humor. They could totally make fun of themselves. They knew where their vulnerabilities and weaknesses were. And they worked in teams really well. Their egos were in check. They were actively doing ego work and practicing humility. And they shut it off sometimes. You know, they said, Sundays are sacred, or I'm going on vacation, and this is done for four days, or whatever it is. They just, right. they, had a, they had a valve that said, no more. And then they would reemerge. So... Those and that's are part of the, of the humility piece is not feeling that you're so, it's not necessarily self-importance, although it can be, but that you can take a break from this thing um, and it will be okay. Um, yeah. The, I think there's some something tied to that. What I love about that answer and what I absolutely agree with is um, that when it's about, when you know your why, it can be about, you, you can pivot within that. So if, if this business model isn't working, the why doesn't change. So you just shift internally what you're doing or, you know, how you're offering it. Perhaps it's the mechanism itself that's yeah. flawed, not, not the why. And I think when you're doing it for bottom line reasons only, um, it's, it, it, pivoting is harder because the why is the money. And so it's like, well, either I'm going to scrap this and start all over or um, it, it's not about that. It's not about how do I get, in the Uber example, people from A to B uh, in a shared sort of, you know, uh, economy. But, but instead, it's we have to make money this way. And they can't think bigger. They can't, they can't have, they're limited to 20,000 foot aerial view versus 50,000 foot because it's about something so specific that it makes, I think, pivoting hard and it makes thinking about the customer hard 
Um, I think you, what you talked about earlier, you know, is what you're selling and what they actually want and what they're buying are th- these two different things. I think it makes that harder to look at too. So thanks for that. I, I love that. And I wanted to add my two cents. Yeah. And now we're just going to get into, not that our listener doesn't know you, I think they've gotten a really good dose of Amy and I'm so happy for them um, that they've gotten a good dose of Amy. But I wanted to do this. We close with this fun little thing we call our quick six. So I'm just going to ask you six questions and just stream of consciousness, just whatever comes to mind, let it kind of all hang out. Do you prefer nine to five or flex schedule? Flex. Yeah, I thought so. Um, Vacationing in the mountains or the beach? I live by the beach. I would love like a week of lake in my life in a mountain somewhere, but I I mean, I'm a beach person. Okay. Um, And then work from home or office? What's your preference? Home. And then work alone or with a team? I like working alone with a team afar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that works out well. You picked a good, uh, you picked a good path for that. Yes. Um, I think this is the hardest question. We'll see if you do. Thai or Mexican food? Oh, as long as there's hot sauce. I'm good okay. with either. Yeah. I, that's probably, that would probably be my answer because it really is about the heat. Yeah. Um, and then we've named this podcast Liberty Sessions. The name of our platform is the Liberty. What is it for you, Amy? What does it mean for you to be liberated? The surface answer to that, and it's legitimate, but it's surface, is to be able to design your schedule and own your time. That is a great, great luxury, and many, many, many women do not have it. Yes. I don't take it for granted. I'm so happy to have arrived here. And I think it's the most obvious answer to what does it mean to you to be liberated? But the most intrinsic, truthful answer for me is to be free of shame. Hmm. Wow. You have surprised us again. That's awesome. And I think that if we, um, on the heels of all things Brene Brown, if we really um, dug into ourselves, that would be the root of so much um, of that inner conflict. Yes. And, you know, we think of liberation right now in particular as something that's more external, but what is it, what is that internal work that's required and the internal need, um, to be liberated? So thanks for shedding some light on that, Amy. Amy, it's always, always, always a pleasure. And it's always, it's it's always new and fresh. Thank you for making your, East Coast window for us available. I so appreciate it. And I'm so flattered to be asked. Oh, any any time and more t- more times. Well, I think we there's a whole other podcast in here somewhere <laughs> that we'll we'll have to uncover. So we'll we'll let a few more go by and then we'll invite you back. Awesome. Um, thanks for this time, all you Liberty listeners. You can check out all things Amy Swift um, that we'll have listed uh, her blog and how to get in touch with her in case there's somebody out there that just thinks this brand strategist is exactly what they need. We'll have everything listed for you. So um, hang in there and stay tuned for next week's Liberty session. Take care. Bye y'all.
Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 